You are listening to Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. Welcome to another episode of Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the MBDA. This is Heather Mason. Thank you for listening. I'm so happy you're here. If you're a first-time listener, be sure to check out all the previous episodes. Do us a favor and leave a review. As always, the MBDA is thankful for our donors and association members. If you would like to make a donation to the MBDA, you can do so directly on our webpage. Thank you to the Farm to Fork Fitness Adventures for their recent association partnership. With so many new riders finding our sport, it's so important as a shop to keep them engaged. And we couldn't think of a better opportunity than a local event or destination where they can use their new equipment. Farm to Fork Fitness Adventures has been rated one of the best trips by Outside Magazine, and it's a bucket list event by Men's Health. It's recommended by Men's Journal, the Boston Globe, and Bicycling Magazine. If you want a memorable experience or you want your customers to thank you for the suggestion, look it up at farmtoforkfitness.com. Today's guest is Mark Sutton. He's a cycling journalist with over 15 years experience. He established Cycling Industry News, which has quickly grown to become a global brand and leader in its domestic market. He's also a freelance contributor to various industry publications. He has a keen interest in everyday cycling, product innovation, and cycling infrastructure. His goal is to promote cycling at a local, national, and global level. An enthusiast of all kinds of two-wheeled activities, he's quoted to say, it feels silly describing my role as work. So excited for this one. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for having me on. It feels nice to be on the other side of an interview for once. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So how are you, Mark? It's been some time since we caught up. Yeah, pretty good. We're sort of emerging from uh, the end of a long winter here in the UK. We've got the first step of the the pandemic control sort of coming to an end this week. Sort of start to link up and see people outdoors again, which is a nice, it almost feels like a luxury now. But we're, we're doing good over here. Yeah, this whole getting out and getting back to normal is something I'm definitely looking forward to. I think it's been, what, like a month now since we originally chatted. And just for our listeners, some background, I personally refer to Cycling Industry News daily for my education content. It's on my LinkedIn feed. And when I first stepped into this role, I reached out to Mark about a research publication they had done that helps to forecast the bicycle industry future. The publication is titled The Independent Retailer Study. And we'll dive more into that later. But what struck me about my first conversation with Mark is that he was just such a dynamic individual. I was looking through his industry history experience and our conversation was so positive. Mark, did you previously know about the MBDA before I reached out to you? Yeah, I've been lucky. While the Interbike show was on so regularly, I was was out there most years for probably six or seven years on the trot. um, Really enjoyed that one. I got pretty familiar with the US market during that time. Um, a, a good number of people that I now call friends, uh, including you know, a couple of uh, contributors that really helped cycling industry news in the early days in particular. You know, One of those is, is Jay Townley, who I know does, does some work alongside the MBDA and has really been an amazing person to work with. He's quite sort of visionary in the way he looks at things, I think. I've, I've always enjoyed his pieces and I know he keeps a good track of what's going on in your market. So yeah, he's he's somebody that chipped into cycling industry news in the early days. I've uh, I've interviewed some past presidents of of the MBDA. Um, to to come back to your question, and yeah, I just generally enjoy every contact I've had with with people in the USA. It feels a, a different market 
in many respects to the UK market. I, I find it very engaged and, and I guess, you know, a good good portion of our, um, probably about a quarter of our, of our website traffic comes from from your side of the pond. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's nice to sort of have that relationship back and forth. Mark, I had no idea you were going to bring up Jay. Jay Townley is a great friend of mine. Actually, I guess it's no longer a secret. Him and I talk weekly. We have, I consider him a mentor and we have a weekly Zoom call. It's exciting to me that you brought up Jay because I think he's just so experienced in our industry. He's a great friend of the MBDI. So um, that was definitely news to me. But I can't thank you enough for teaming up so quickly to become a friend of the ME Day as well and offering the discount to our members on the independent retailer study and also on the job postings on your um, website. So thank you. I just want to know, like, give our listeners a little bit more about you. Where do you live? Like, where are you currently? London's pretty much the reference point, but I'm I'm about an hour north bike ride of London uh, in a little town called Hartford. It's not particularly exciting cycling country here. If you want to have any sort of adrenaline bike riding here, uh, it's pretty flat. So you either you either build the fun yourself or you buy a bike rack and you you head out a little bit. You know, over the years, I've I've sort of got involved in things that have captured my interest locally, design at the local skate park and, and lobbying for that. And it's sort of come full circle just recently trying again to to get a pump track built in my in my hometown as well as you know various little mountain bike tracks and things so um yeah it feels like I've been here a while <laughs> yeah. oh I wish you lived in my hometown skate park pump <laughs> track you sound pretty cool how do you find cycling did you race before I've never really done the competition side of things mostly because I, I, I'm just not a very good rider I guess I, I guess I don't take it too seriously I've got I've got a number of bikes in my shed and I can I can never really tell day to day which one I'm in the mood for it's just whatever whatever the weather's doing outside and whatever I've got to do in the day I'll go and pick the bike that suits that best lately I've, I've got sort of back into a lot of dirt riding you know it's the the ground's drying out here the, the trees are sucking all the moisture out in the ground so the trails are speeding up quite a bit at the moment so uh i wouldn't say i'm seasonal i, I definitely enjoy going fast and uh maybe catching a bit of air if if, the, if there's something on the trail <laughs> i love that i and i definitely agree with you i kind of just pick up whatever bike I feel that day you know i used to be a racer myself but now i think i just more ride for I don't know, casual. New cyclists are emerging. New cyclists are finding bike shops. New people looking to get outside. And I sometimes just wonder about this term cyclist, right? And what that word means. What do you think mm. about when I say the word cyclist to you? I think I said to you previously, that's that's a funny one in the UK. It, it gets banded about in, in so many different ways. We don't have a good time here with the national press in particular. And, and the word cyclist almost has a bit of a tainted edge to it now so I, I you know as pe- people who ride bikes is the better way to to phrase it in my view because you yeah. know we're for the most part we are just you know people getting from a to b and and that's that's a big thing at the moment the transport side of things with with all of these temporary some are becoming permanent some are not lasting very long but we are starting to see just more and more people who just enjoy riding bikes for yeah. whatever reason whether it's you know they've actually worked out that it, it's, uh, it's a nicer way to get to work in the morning or whether it's just leisure. I, I don't like to put too much of a badge on it really, but yeah, it's not nice to see it normalized, I think, finally. Yeah, I agree with you. And I'm definitely, you know, when you were just 
speaking there, I was thinking of the word cargo and I'm thinking about how the cargo, you know, market might be next for the US and we'll have more people utilizing bikes for various different reasons. Okay. So let's talk about your local bike shop. So do you have a local shop and do you visit it frequently or you work on your bikes yourself or talk to me about that? If I work on my bikes myself, things end up <laughs> upside down and on, on backwards. So <laughs> I, I agree with yeah, you. My, my, my local bike shop does, does any mechanics and I don't keep a great schedule. So they, they pretty much hate me when I wheel my bike in. I work quite closely with a local bike shop. Like I said, with this attempt to get various, you know, pump tracks and cycle training and, and even some infrastructure changes locally my 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 local bike shop is, is called highway cycles that's they, they've got that arm to it but they've also got an arm called cycle, hartford cycle hub which is is really doing some good work to sort of engage new people in cycling um they've got a lot of big ideas and you know they're introducing the breeze rides for example to to get more more women locally riding doing the whole cycling advocacy side of things sort of between us we're, we're, we're really trying to join the dots there's a big demand for it as well you know we've got plenty of uh, local data to support the effort that myself and the local bike shop are trying to to put forward to the, the local authority here in order to get get some things built so yeah my, my local bike shop's really really proactive and i think quite um progressive in in our market so it's nice and I'm thinking, are shops in the UK experiencing the same boom we are here in the US? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, th- I think that that seems like it's a, a fairly global thing. But yes, we we certainly are experiencing that. We have the same supply problems and things at the moment that I, I think people are scratching their heads over as to when that settles again. I can see a lot of investments being made, but you know, there's all sorts delaying the parts actually arriving. There's Lots of shops saying to me that they're they're a bit concerned about grinding to a halt, and mm-hmm. there's uh, there's so many threads on our on our trade Facebook page just sort of saying, has anyone got this part? Does anyone know the supplier or an alternative source for for this? We on the back of the boom, certainly I noticed in our data and and in our subscriptions that there was a whole load of people just opening up on that boom, whether whether they've been laid off from other jobs or, or furloughed or, or whatever they there appeared to be certainly on the the workshop side a, a trend of openings i worry now that actually that the, they'll struggle in in the, you know their early years because of this situation and it, it it's been nice and certainly a lot of people have done well they've you know they've revitalized stored some cash and and reinvested but the next few months to a year are, are looking a bit difficult i think yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, I'm, I always ask about the local shop because I feel like right now it's a time to maximize, you know, cut down fixed costs, but also to maximize additional revenue sources. And I ask about the local shop to, to really maybe give an indicator of what great shops are doing. So what's like a highlight of your local shop? Is there anything that retailers could learn from something that they're doing that maybe is a benefit for the local community or to grow ridership? My local shop, we, we had a lot of a uh, string of many years of, of closures because it was it was a tough market up and up until you know almost pre-pandemic thing things weren't really heading in the right direction there were there were a lot of closures and and my local shop was it was taken to new ownership and and it was a what i'd call a businessman has, has, has taken it over and and really you know given given it the some structure i i think you know i can sort of tell by speaking with the staff there that they they all know their 
their task and actually they're asking for, for new tasks to sort of grow the business. I know they have sort of pretty regular meetings to, to sort of decide where they can help grow the business. But also, like I say, the the arm, which is more into to growing ridership as a whole. So there's a, there's a real team effort to, to sort of put those ideas out there. And I think, you know, that, that has spawned into the, the Hartford Cycle Hub side of the business um, where this effort really to stimulate the the things in the in the local area that will eventually drive up ridership and you know that will come full circle i'm sure it will benefit the business but that's not necessarily the intention it is just to keep growing the local ridership and they're doing it's behind the scenes a lot of the work they're really trying to join some dots with uh you know people who have the same decision making you know transport planners and 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 the road engineers and, and, and so on, just, just trying to bring as many people with experience into the discussion. Yeah. And then we can present them the data that's been gathered locally. It's about starting the discussion. I think one thing we've realized is that we didn't know that so many people of the same opinion existed locally. There, there's such a coming together now of people saying, oh, yeah, I, I've been thinking this for a long time. We should join this route to this route and, you know, who has the say on that bit of land? How could we get the paths joining? And it opens up commuter arteries that, that link up towns. Yeah. That makes ridership so much more viable. You know, even for a person like me, if I had a connection to the other side of my town that was off the road from the other side of town, right to the, the doorstep of my work is, is a cycle path, but it's not door to door. And I think you can have arteries, but you, you sort of need the, the, the bits feeding into those to, to really stimulate local cycling growth. And uh, and that's something we're, we're sort of trying to work out how to do. Yeah, I could not agree with that more. The shops I'm having with retailers here, the conversations I'm having with retailers here is about local advocacy and how we can team up with IMBA or people for bikes. So you're not just, you're not just a retail environment anymore. You're also advocating for local trails and local routes and safe places to ride. I want to know more about your journalistic background, but you mentioned something earlier called breeze rides. Can you tell me more about that, Mark? I've not been on one myself, but I think they are for to engage more women in cycling. So uh, I know that they're, they're they're setting it up in in local to just begin at the local store and just just to bring people together. And I, I guess you sort of feel the community and, and the safety and numbers, and you can sort yeah. of feed off of each other and grow the confidence that's the idea behind that definitely a big focus in the u.s market and for myself in particular is these you know events just for women or you know a comfortable place to get started in the cycling world so i just wanted to learn more about that because i was like hey i heard you mention that so i'm curious about how you got involved in journalism in the bicycle side of the industry so i was looking on your linkedin account and saw your past positions did you get into journalism with a goal to head towards the cycling industry or how did that work out? Really, I, I, I was in college, two colleges actually doing doing media and journalism. I knew that that was the rough direction I wanted to head in. You know, when I when I started out riding, I would uh, I'd joke with friends that, uh, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we wrote for Mountain Biking UK or something like that? That was the magazine we read back then. I guess it was sort of aligned in that direction, but it was a bit of luck, really. My mum found an advert for Bike Biz, the, the other trade magazine here in the UK, 
And that was in my hometown, which I had no idea about up until the point I saw that ad. And so I went in, went in for the interview with a, a folder full of clippings where I'd, uh, I'd shadowed a local reporter and we had a, a sort of off the books cash arrangement where I'd tip him off for, for local news. I think he got a lot of his stories for me, actually. I sort of had my head down during those college years to, to at least, you know, pursue that journalism career. And, and it was just a sort of happy accident that I ended up in cycling. And that's where I've been ever since. I feel like it's your place, though. <laughs> I feel like you belong here. So, you know, I was looking at, you know, bike biz and your work with Cycling Electric. And I, I wake up every morning and I, I mean, I know you're ahead of me in the time zone, but I'm thinking about the role you're in. And you must always be in this future mindset because you're bringing timely content. I don't know, maybe I'm naive, but I'm wondering how you stay ahead of the game. Like how, how are you just able to bring this content daily, multiple times a day that's forward thinking? Talk to me about that. It's crazy um, to me. Yeah, I, that feels like a big compliment. Thank you. This year hasn't really felt like that in particular because it's just been such a year of, of turbulence, particularly for the, the UK. You know, the first series of emails I opened this year were you know frantic ones saying oh you know what's the deal with brexit like what what are the rules regulations it feels like it was signed at such an 11th hour that businesses here were just not briefed at all and so it was a steep learning curve this year and and to stay ahead of anything was was a real challenge this year's been interesting particularly for the uk market and and then covid on top of that wow yeah it really really has been difficult in at times but I guess with the electric bike side of things, I've been writing about that market ever since, I guess you could say it was uncool at a point. It it had the, the heavier lead acid batteries. and yeah. um, Oh my God, I remember those. Or, <laughs> those were huge batteries. They were awful. They were, <laughs> I've been writing about the electric bike side of things for, for a hell of a long time now. So perhaps I could, I could be a little bit ahead on that, but you know, that's evolving at a hell of a pace as well. So yeah, it's really not easy to be ahead of, of the curve. I, I work slightly differently to many journalists. I wouldn't say I have a plan, and I, that, sound, that sounds like a bad thing. But it, it's, I think in this day and age, you, you do need to be reactive and, and quite fluid. I would say definitely surrounding yourself maybe with people, right, who are working in the future, maybe keeps you into the loop of what's happening. Yesterday, I spent the day talking with a lot of people in the supply chain and you know, what's coming down the pipeline. And I think that always helps, right? Just having that mindset and then thinking forward. Bike to cycling industry news. It's a UK specific focus or do you have a plan for, you know, more of a global market reach? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so that that's another thing that has kind of gone backwards and forwards over time. When, when um, I just rewind a bit, you know, I came to the job at, at cycling industry news almost by accident. I Bike, bike base was moving into a, to an office in London and I, I didn't want to do that commute. So I was looking around for, for jobs and there was a newly launched rival at the time called Cycle Trade. And I assumed the job was for that. And it, it turns out it wasn't. And actually, it was a whole load closer. It was, it was only a few towns over. It was my publisher was essentially fishing at the time to sort of see if there was scope to launch a, a cycling magazine. And, you know, we met up and, uh, 
and we made it happen. So it was, it was a bit of a an accident, but our visions for it have sort of differed and aligned at different times through through the timeline of cycling industry news. When we set out, it was it was his view to to sort of be a global platform, whereas I was a bit more narrow on it, saying oh, it'd be cool to you know do a good job in the UK, and that's what we've we've gone on to do. We've 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 tended to focus on the UK. And naturally, over time, these things grow. We we get a lot of business from from Europe nowadays. There was a time where I I was quite interested in doing a lot more with the US, but then again, your markets your markets very large, and, and we're we're quite a small team. So, in short, I would say our focus now is the UK, but with a global trend overview as well. Different trends come from different markets. So, we perhaps if we see something like gravel riding coming from the US. We'll try and assess whether it's applicable to our market and, and the rest of Europe. And e-bikes going going the other way, of course. We try to keep it keep it focused, but but with with an eye open for, for other opportunities. I can totally relate to a small team, you know, and wanting to take on a bit, you know, having a big thing you want to take on, but definitely narrowing the focus to make it a little That's bit more. Yeah. <laughs> But I feel like a lot of the content you put out is definitely relatable for the U.S. market, too. And I thoroughly enjoy reading everything that you publish on, on LinkedIn and on your website as well. And, and that's how I previously reached out to you around the independent retailer study. And thank you so much for making this study available to the MBDA members. If you're an MBDA member listening, you can go to your member resources page to learn more about that. This is the fourth year, right, Mark, for the study? That's right. Yeah. And this takes up a lot of my time sort of through Q4, through Q1 now. It was never necessarily intended when we set out to go down this road. But I think from a B2B magazine point of view, we need to be evolving as the rest of the industry is evolving. And so to a degree, it's a, it's a hedge against what, what I see as a potentially turbulent future for, for b2b publications in the bike world you know it's no secret that there's a cutting of links in the supply chain on many fronts luckily obviously there's the direct to dealer alongside direct consumer but really to have this market intelligence is sort of a, a sideline to the main thing that we do just so we're you know keeping relevant and keeping on top of the changes in the market and able to advise, you know, clients that work with us um, what, what's going on and how to have successful relationships. Have you signed up for Ride It Daily Extended Service yet? What are you waiting for? It's the extended service plan for your customers that pays you your shop rate for extended service and warranty claims. Rides is only available to NBDA members and it's only available at NBDA.com. So four years, it must be so much research. It's, it's like 47 pages or something, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And that's that's without any of the analysis. Um, the report that, you know, is available is is pretty easy to engage with. It's, it's just a series of graphs and, and data and essentially bike shop opinion on um, what motivates them to sign up with certain suppliers and what the turnoffs are on, on the flip side of that. You know, the bike shops are very kind in, in helping us out. We two years in a row have had just shy of 250 bike shops which you know it, it takes a little bit of a rallying call but you know I, I appreciate everyone who who pitches in because it it's nice to be in a position of a b2b mag 
and genuinely be able to claim, okay, we we understand what's going on in this market. And that's that's because of our readers. I mean, I think this is huge, Mark. You know, we would like to do something in the US market like this eventually, but this data is needed. It's needed for our distributors. It's needed for bike shops. You know, it's definitely... And I noticed you have some nice sponsors. That must feel good to have some distributors on board, right, as partners? Yeah, I think we're getting to the point as an industry where we're getting to the grips with the, the importance of of having data to check our biases against that and and sort of reinforce the things that we think we know or we we do we don't know this it, it's useful to have something concrete to say okay for my sales or marketing staff here's some information that will help them effectively get this product to market we talked briefly and this was our last call and i'm just going to wing this one out at you but I know this is a UK focused survey, but is this good for the US market too? Is there something that US readers will gather from this, correct? A lot of it is applicable wherever you are in the world, particularly the uh, you know the things that suppliers can take from from what actually makes a good retailer relationship, whether it's you know what they deem an acceptable margin on a product or how they expect the sales rep experience to go you know, a whole bunch of factors where there's learnings to be taken on on how to have sort of cohesion in, in that relationship. And and there's a lot more information as well, which, you know, speaks on, on the broader sales trends, um, what segments are doing particularly well. You know, as we said earlier, some trends do translate o- over the water in time. So um, I, <laughs> I feel like the electric bike thing, your, your side yeah. of the pond is was a bit more reluctant than we we were actually more reluctant than Europe, but I think I think it's coming through Europe to the UK, and I think the US will ease up on it, or certainly seems to be easing up on it. I remember many years ago being in the trucks, getting taken up Bootleg Canyon into bike, yeah, and there was such a mixed feeling. Everybody wanted to try the electric bikes, but there was also some pessimism about it. But I feel like that's easing up. You'll you'll probably know better than I. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Yeah. Oh gosh, sorry. You're saying sales trends, and do you mind if I put you in the hot seat on this one? You've done you've done so much research for this, and I'm wondering, looking forward for sales trends, can you give us any insight on where you think you know some of your research is pointing that that this is going? So, I mean, the past year has been uh, quite an anomaly for the the bike business, and um, probably more so than many of us have ever known. I don't think we're done with some of the odd trend fluctuations, so. Again, that's that's a nice thing to have the data to understand. What interests and, and sort of concerns me in, in equal measure is the number of businesses within the study that are are young, as I said earlier. So in the current climate, we don't perhaps know yet if the industry is in a good position for accessing the, the stock during this, this shortage. Earlier in the pandemic, suppliers might have been uh, celebrating the, the sudden burst in, in new accounts. Now I think it might be becoming a bit more of a headache, even if it's you know good accounts registering many are, are, are just a bit worried about grinding to a, to a standstill now i think so trends it feels obvious but e- e-bikes is is the one love, love them or hate them that they are huge and and growing this is the single log, largest investment area for in in our study for retailers and and for workshop technicians investing in the training that's another element sort of covered where where shops are investing in the service side uh, and yeah the the workshop it has for many years been in the ascendancy in the data but it just it just keeps going and, and there's 
you know, early on in our study, we, we seek to establish whether they're bike shops, workshops, or combination of both, or perhaps they're mobile mechanics. Yeah, there's, there's certainly more and more workshop-only businesses and mobile out there now than there was in prior years. So that's that's definitely a trend. Yeah, I mean, yeah. our workshops are... Are really chaotic places at the moment. You know, the shortages aside, we, we've we've actually got a government incentive at the moment for people to, to dig their bikes out of, of sheds and garages, and, and they get fifty pounds towards that. So, as much as that is very welcome, and it's a, you know it's a, a scheme that we would love normally. At the moment, we're we're, <laughs> we're essentially sending customers to to workshops that have already got a lead time of a week or more with with a voucher asking for extra paperwork on you know stock that doesn't exist it's, oh my goodness uh, yeah it's it's just it's, it's getting a bit complicated at the moment the the workshop is good that they have invested so heavily in it because there's no shortage of work there at the moment I, I agree with you one of the number one topics that comes up in our networking session is you know service and service scheduling and how we can be more efficient because it's getting out of hand I can't imagine you know if if <laughs> If consumers in the U.S. walked into a shop right now with extra extra stuff for shop owners to fill out, they wouldn't be that happy about that. But I love the incentive, right? That's nice. Gosh. All right. So any tips for retailers on working with suppliers or for securing inventory? Like you mentioned that a little bit. So any tips you have there? Yeah. I, I mean, we've, we've got some really great suppliers here in the U.K. that do invest fairly well in, in education and, and their B2B sites. So, you know, there's, there's, there's normally help at hand. Uh, I mean, as a lot of the suppliers are just as stretched as, as the shops at the moment with orders coming and going and, and trying to source the, the stock themselves. Yeah, I don't really have any tips to jump the queue because I just don't think that that's viable at the moment. There's some suppliers here have some really good people on the road that, that help shops, you know, set themselves up to to have strong sell through the seasons you know i i was in a store not so long ago that had, had dressed up a really nice gravel bike display you know a gravel surface the bike absolutely dripping in in bike packing gear um accessories and for the customer to have a visual like that and for the bike shop staff to have that to sell from you know i've seen a lot of suppliers really working quite closely with the shops to to really improve that visual merchandising yeah, that's something I would say is quite effective at a retail level that I've, I've seen more action, people investing it at the time to sort of put the customer in, in the shoes of this this yeah. rider. Create the image, right? Myself, yeah. I'm a cyclist. I've been in the industry for years. I walk into a shop and I see something like that and I'm like, oh, look at that bag. I want that backpacking bag. <laughs> so I've been talking a lot about cargo. I think, you know, two years ago, one of my mentors said, watch this cargo market, watch, you know, we're going to be seeing FedEx and UPS and different delivery services using cargo bikes. And I'm like convinced it's, ha- it's going to come here. Any thoughts about that? Are you seeing anything about like commercial cargo use around bikes? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, more so, more so on the commercial perhaps than than on the personal. Although um, you know they're very very useful things on the personal side too. But you know, there's there's shops here that have actually been ahead of the curve on that in the financial markets. They might say buy the rumor, sell the news. Well, they've bought the rumor that this is coming, and actually now they are really selling it through. They're ahead of the game and and the contracts that they're getting off of the back of 
taking the punt on this trend arriving we're not talking one or two bikes we're talking whole fleets of bikes for companies on on this cargo thing so that's worth a lot of money to the the bike shop certainly you know i don't i don't think i've heard figures quoted quite as high as as some um that have really made a success of you know approaching businesses and saying look this is a really efficient way to distribute your goods around a city that's coming it it has to mathematically i i have this sort of analogy where I would say that cars are like marbles to the city funnel and, and smaller things, micro-mobility bikes, scooters, is the sand to that funnel. You can chuck as many marbles in, they're going to stack up, but the sand and will always go through. And, and this is what the cargo bike essentially is now. It's replacing the van. They're really efficient. There's a really cool business here in London called Pedal Me, and there's a essentially a scientist i think that works for them and he's (laughs) he's crunched the numbers he's run it against you know the amount of deliveries they can make versus the amount of deliveries a commercial van can make and it's just astonishing how far ahead you can get with the cargo bike in in pretty much any city where the topography is you know reasonable i don't think you get away with it in in super steep cities somewhere like um, san francisco or something like that maybe perhaps yeah. yeah But yeah, for the most part, I think this this has to become part of the future. I definitely think like New York City, even, you know, the schematics of getting the vans and trucks into the city, a cargo bike just makes so much more sense. So um, I'm interested to see where that goes. Mark, I, I just want to flip back over to e-bikes because I know you've spent so much considerable time like researching and working in that market. In the U.S., we're seeing a boom, but retailers continue to ask, how can I scale this? They want you know, they're cautious. Any tips you can have for retailers in the US about the e-market? Yeah, I think try to open your mind as wide as possible on it. You know, I interviewed somebody just this morning who is uh, racing pro, but she's racing pro e-bike. She's a new mum as well. And I think I went into the interview assuming we'd be talking about how, uh, you know, she's managed to get more laps in as part of her training. And that's true. That's true. You know, she she's definitely covering more ground, getting in more training, you know, more descents as well as she's she's got more energy for, for throughout the whole day. But but she she sort of swung it towards her role as a new mum. It's another full time job. So she was sort of saying, oh, if, if I've only got an hour to play with, then for me, I'm perhaps not going to reach for my for my normal bike, but mm-hmm. I can cover so much more ground and, and really make it worthwhile on an e-bike. And she said as a mum, that was that was very important for her to, you know, stay motivated and, and keep going, keep getting that exercise and, and the fresh air. And, and that's just applicable to so many people that, you know, perhaps aren't you and I. The obvious ones are, are, are people that are sort of more elderly or, or have an injury or, or just generally more unfit. There's, uh, you know, I've interviewed so many people now where these have just changed their lives and made them richer in, in, in so many ways, whether they've, you know, dropped the weight and maybe they've gone on to buy another bike or whether they have stopped using the car so much. You know, for me personally, like I said earlier, I, I probably, I mean, I'm an enthusiast of all kinds of bikes, but I, I like it to be easy as well. And so my office where, when, you know, things are functioning as normal is about, is about 15 miles away. I'm going to do that more on an e-bike than I'm going to do on a pedal bike. We need to see e-bikes as just another bike, right? It's like N plus one, an e-bike should be in there because 
some bike shop owners that I'm friends with have gotten e-bikes because, you know, they have their group rides and maybe they're not training as much as they used to, but now being on an e-bike allows them to do the group ride and hang up, you know, hang on. And, uh, it's just another tool. It's another awesome, amazing. And if you haven't tried one, just jump on one. It'll make you want one, right? Like there's so much fun. Yeah. The e-bike smile, it sounds cheesy, but it's a real thing. And and I've, I've seen it so many times over now, you know, some of the shoots we've been on have involved getting models that are, you know, they, they actually don't really even cycle, let alone it's just, you know, we get some models in, they jump on the e-bikes and it's their first time on it. And, and actually we, those first 10 minutes of them being on it are probably the best times to get the photos because you get this genuine reaction. Genuine smile, the e-bike smile. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So diving back over to cycling industry news, you know, I was on your website uh, preparing for our, our chat today and I know you have all the content, but then I saw the interactive Facebook group and the job postings and you have a print publication. I feel like what you're doing is super unique, right? Like, do you just keep adding different things to what you're doing or how are you responding to the market? Tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot, like I say, we try to be as reactive as possible. As I said earlier, I'm, I'm, I'm not normal in, in the, the journalism sense. I've actually discouraged our title from really putting out too firm a a features list forward looking which yeah in publishing terms isn't usual at all almost everyone has that i think things are moving so quickly now that there's very little that you can plan months in advance in particular since covid i mean that's just skewered things a whole bunch more i've always tried to keep it so you know if, if somebody wants to work with us that's great they do find it confusing initially that I don't just give them a whole features list and say, this is when I can fit you in. Mm-hmm. I tend to be more, you know, tailored to their message and we'll do something together. But as a whole, yeah, no, pretty much everything we do is trying to react to something that's going on in the market day to day rather than month to month. So is any projects that are in the pipeline for cycling industry news that we're not aware of yet? Can you tell us, give us a sneak peek? <laughs> So yeah, in, in the in the background, it's taken us a while, um, but it should be coming soon. Like I say, small team, so you know everything has to go back and forth quite a bit. But yeah, we have a a brand directory we're trying to introduce online. A few technical issues. It's taken longer than I thought it would, but essentially what that is is just a through our Facebook group, for example, where a lot of people are asking day to day. Who does this brand? Where can I, I find this product? And so with that being such a common question put forward in particular at the moment, yeah, this online searchable brand directory, which in theory could could roll out much wider than than just it could go into services. It could even go into other countries. But yeah, I think we'll start with the UK <laughs> and just, <laughs> just, just, you know, get because these things always have teething problems, even when you launch them. What a great resource, though, to keep people more connected, you know. But yeah, you got to launch it. I, I think big scale all the time, but then I'm like, all right, I should start here and make sure it's set up right. Gosh, this past year, Mark, we have seen so many changes in the cycling culture and industry. And one of them is the recent investments into our industry from outside sources. I'm sure you're aware of this. So how do you think this mm. will change our bike business moving forward? Yeah, this has really accelerated, hasn't it? So I interviewed the guy who brought together the the Canyon deal, um, one of the, the big bankers behind that. And I learned a lot from that about this this process that, like I say, has just, yeah, there's been more and more headlines of, you know, 
investment, acquisition, merger, you know, people taking in stakes in the business that have, have never really had that interest before. And and this bike banker, as he, as he called himself, sort of said, you know, there's there's a bunch of themes here that investors are, are really into, whether it's green economy, logistics, as, as we say with cargo and, and things like that. He, he said that the bike industry was you know, sort of fragmented to a degree that you can bring certain things together and really improve them quite quickly. He did say that the the investors had a, a preference for, for B2C brands when, when they put money in. Uh, mm. I think the reasons for that are fairly obvious. Electric bike is, is the other big box ticker. I think the investment world really sees this e-mobility thing as, as a genuine world changer now. You know, I think I think you've, your president has just announced a bunch of uh, incentives for yeah. to, to develop the yeah. e side of things and, and some of the infrastructure alongside. I went on a ride with a friend not so long ago uh, who was, you know, quite deep in the outdoor industry, and he wasn't particularly complimentary about how uh, an influx of outside money reshaped that industry as a whole. So I'm sure it, it will come with it, with pros and cons, but the world does need to get you know get moving on this this mobility change and and the climate side of things so whatever form it comes in we, we've just got to get to grips with it and, and try and get our slice of the pie if that money is is coming in yeah i'm personally the, the conversations i've had with retailers especially uh, about some of the e-bike incentives coming down the line here are extremely positive and you know, I would agree with you. There's pluses and minuses, but I mean, more people are noticing our industry, you know, and to me, that's a highlight. So um, I'm hopeful, you know, it's not bad. It's just different. And <laughs> I'm very hopeful. So, but definitely the digital market has shifted a lot and consumer buying online, you know, that whole experience has just accelerated, you know, off the hook as we move towards this direct to rider model you know, retailers are embracing it. But any thoughts you have on the future of retail in this regard? Yeah, uh, online retail is is really not going away, is it? You know, one of the key indicators of, of sort of being ahead of the curve on that, I think, was if you look at some of the the transport data, some of the fastest growing traffic on the road at the moment is is, is vans, just delivery vans. Uh, you know, I have people show up at my front door who are, you know, essentially just freelancers in their own cars, just full of packages. Yeah, this online retail thing is is not slowing down. I agree with you. It's not. It's, it's All I've been doing <laughs> is trying to give tips to retailers on how to, you know, make a better web platform, meet their digital consumers when they're there. There's lots of different little tips of advice you can make to make the online experience so much better. So, um, yeah, but I, I don't think this is, you know, this is by no means the end of the road for, for physical retail, I think there's um, the consumer has changed. You know, a lot of a lot of studies tend to, to say that millennials and, and Gen Z were more experience led, and and bike retail is quite well positioned for that sort of thing. I think you know, whether it's uh, setting somebody's cleats up when they go clip for the first time, or you know, um, bike fitting. There's and and the e bike thing really that isn't in my view something that's easy to sell online because you need to have that experience there's a bit more to it so yeah i think i think the physical bike retailer has, has still got a hell of a lot going for them it, it just like i say you've got to attract these new customers you've got to have something to differentiate yourself and you've got to have a really nice in-store experience that, that keeps people wanting to come back and more than you know just keep them wanting to come back 
give them a, a genuine reason why they almost have to keep coming back. If, they, if they're going past your store day to day, try and talk to them and, and understand what would get them cycling. And listening, right? We have to listen to our customers, like genuinely, like stop and actually listen to them. Some of the best ideas come when we do that. So Mark, you've spent so many years in the bicycle industry and I constantly have young entrepreneurs reaching out, thinking about opening a shop or maybe buying another shop. And I think this is a great opportunity to just get some advice from you. Any advice that you would give to someone like looking to start a shop or to buy a bike shop? I guess I would revert to, to data on this one again. Presumably you know a bit about your local community, but try and work out what the issues are in the local community and whether there's anything that aligns quite naturally with whether you can improve the transport side of things in your local community. Engage as much as you can with the local community. We have bike shops here in the UK that are quite successful that you, you perhaps wouldn't expect. For example, they might just set up on a route that is known to club cyclists, you know, at the top of a, a very notorious hill or something like that, where, where where riders will naturally come to a stop and, you know, catch their breath. You know, some of the shops that have opened up sort of half shop, half cafes in locations like that with quite low overheads have, have done done quite well just because they've become destinations. So, yeah, it's worth not assuming that the, the, the high street is – is the best place of, of course unless the high street is you know particularly people friendly and, and busy i love that you're on a road with lots of traffic outside and no no cycle path going by it you're going to have to do a bit more to get the customer in yeah i love that it's i feel like diversity in the bicycle industry and in the retail locations is huge and you can be super unique and you don't necessarily have to have that what I would say, typical retail platform. It, anything can work, right? With a strong, motivated individual, right? I think so. So Mark, last one I want to throw at you since you're so willing today. I am, you know, a strategy that I have for the MBDA is to provide education and resource in order to create excellence in bicycle retail. And as I coin this term, excellence in bicycle retail, I want to know if I say that to you, what does that mean, excellence in bicycle retail? If you can stay ahead of the curve and, and, and spot trends as they're emerging, think a little deeper. You know, like I said about the, the van traffic, that was a key indicator as to, okay, that's not sustainable. If the van traffic's the thing that's growing the fastest on the roads and our roads aren't particularly great as it is in terms of the congestion, we're going to need a solution to that. And so those people that got to the cargo bike thing early are now known as specialists in that and they've got a whole bunch of corporate accounts looking at them and and saying okay right we need 10 bikes in some cases they need a lot more so yeah some sometimes i think it pays to take a little bit of a step back and certainly don't just come at it from an enthusiast point of view just because you like something it doesn't mean your customer's going to you know if i'd have started a bike shop when i was younger i think i would have just sold BMX bikes and, and told my customers to go and dig jumps in the woods. That might not have gone down so well over time. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it, it definitely pays just to listen. Even if you don't like some of your customers, just listen. Somewhere in between the lines, there will be will be a message saying, "Okay, I've got this problem. I've got nowhere to lock my bike in town." Well, you know, if you install a couple of bike racks outside your shop, then they do have somewhere to lock there their bike in town and it's outside your shop you've got a customer visiting 
your area pretty much every day then just step back and have a think about it from from other people's point of view and and how you could actually engage them that is such great advice i i totally relate to you on the bmx side of because if you only when i had my shop i think for the first month i had a lot of great chamois cream and 29 or hardtails because i wanted them but that didn't go over well so i had to definitely pivot so great advice for bicycle retailer excellence tips we could do a whole nother talk. I can't believe it's been, you know, we've been chatting now for almost an hour. I can't thank you enough for coming on and for sharing your knowledge and intel and for supporting the National Bicycle Dealers Association. All right. So you can visit Cycling Industry News online at cyclingindustry.news. And on their website, you can subscribe to their newsletter. I'd also recommend following them on LinkedIn and their social feeds. And they also have a Facebook group for discussions. Mark, do you do the podcast or who does the podcast for you guys? Is that you? We do it between ourselves. There's there's just two of us on the team, like I say, quite a small team, myself and uh, uh, Liberty. Day to day, we run it. The The Facebook group is called Cycling Industry Chat for anyone that wanted to catch up on that. Awesome. Yeah. And so there's also a job board and Cycling Industry News provides a discount on postings for MBDA members. And if you want, you can reach Mark directly at mark at cyclingindustry.news. Mark, thank you. <laughs> it's nice to be on, as I say, to, to be on the other end of an interview. <laughs> so that is it. I invite you to connect with us and come on Bicycle Retail Radio, share your story with our listeners. Lots of love for our industry. There's lots of great webinars coming up. Definitely member networking meetings. Please take part. Join us. If you'd like to support the show, don't forget to subscribe. Share your favorite episode with your friends. We appreciate your support. Thank you for listening come back soon and with this we go this has been bicycle retail radio by the national bicycle dealers association for more information on membership and member benefits join us at nbda.com